Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Lit AF with your host, Sarah Cohan. I am so beyond excited about today's show. It features um, drag queen Little Miss Hot Mess, who's recently published a book entitled The Hips on the Drag Queen Go Swish, Swish, Swish. And it's just such a beautiful, vibrant, colorful, fun, sassy um, children's book that I loved reading. It's based in San Francisco, so it's super fun to look at. And we just had a phenomenal conversation about drag and drag culture and her amazing thoughts on um, political activism and early childhood education. And there's just so many things that we talked about and covered. It was amazing. So um, I hope you enjoy it. And I do want everyone to know that I'm hosting a storytelling workshop tonight. What? And if you miss it, I'm sure I'm going to be hosting more. And if you're interested in learning more about it, check out my Instagram. It's at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H underscore shines, S-H-I-N-E-S underscore on, O-N. Yes, I just should have thought about making that shorter, but I love that name so much. So I'm doing tonight as the theme of this workshop is comedy. And then I'll have many, many more to come, hopefully, which will be about transformation and kind of um, story t- workshops like the outline of a story and um, confidence in storytelling. There's so many different topics. And we're all inside. So what better time than to learn now and meet some fun new people while we're at it. Um, so without further ado, I give you the Little Miss Hot Mess. Well, hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be here today with Little Miss Hot Mess. She is one of the first queens to host Drag Queen Story Hour. She's also on the National Advisory Committee. She's written for Wired, The Guardian, Salon, and Them. And she's also performed at venues ranging from Stanford to San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. And she was also a backup dancer for Katy Perry and SNL. But most importantly, she recently published a children's book called The Hips on the Drag Queen Go Swish, Swish, Swish. And I'm so obsessed with it. I am so glad to have you here today. So welcome to Lit AF. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to see you and be here. You too. You're just like a stream of color right now. So I know that that's going to kick us off for an amazing conversation. <laughs> and I just want to say congrats on the book. I mean, it is, it's vibrant. It's punchy. It's fun. I love it. Thank you. I I mean, I love it too. I'm so, I could not be happier with how it turned out. Good. Wow. Um, so tell us about the book. So the book came out of working with Drag Queen Story Hour, which I've been doing for about four years now. Um, and maybe I should just say that Drag Queen Story Hour started in San Francisco in late 2015 by wow. Michelle T., the genius author and arts and literary organizer who at the time was running uh, Radar Productions in the city. She since left and she moved to LA as well. But um, this was one of her kind of so crazy, it just might work ideas to bring drag queens into libraries and other spaces to read books to kids. And I I had just moved to New York at the time. So I was like watching it happen in San Francisco, feeling incredibly jealous and incredibly (laughs) FOMO'd, you know? Um, But then Michelle came to New York at we decided to do an event together and the rest is history. Oh my God. So it's happening. Scratching drag queen story. hours happening in multiple cities then. Is that drag queen story? Hour? Yeah. I mean, we're kind of consolidating into like a national or international organization, but we have about 50 plus chapters around the world. Oh. Um, so like everywhere, I mean, kind of the biggest chapters still are in like New York and LA and San Francisco, but there's a ton of smaller towns and cities across the U S and then, like Berlin and Copenhagen and Tokyo and Mexico City and yeah, just so many places. Amazing. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's it's really, it's, I mean, it's just such an inspirational program and and part of Michelle's brilliance always is like putting things into the world and then letting people run with them. And I love. think that's the secret of this is like, mm. yeah, all you need is a drag queen or drag king or whatever and some books and some kids and you could do it like it's not oh my God. It's a real secret sauce it's totally and i'm sure kids are like just love it like i'm sure they let light up around it kids yes they do i mean i think some of them i think have no idea what they're watching but <laughs> I, that's part of the fun of it too it's like am i 
a princess? Am I a superhero? Am I like, I don't know, a movie star? Am I just some weird cheap in the dress? I don't know. Who <laughs> knows the what things. they know? Exactly. All of it. <laughs> and it's all okay. And it's all okay. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that. So in the beginning, were you dressing in drag and then just reading other stories? Yeah, first it was other stories, and um, I first did it as part of a launch for a book of feminist fairy tales, so that was fun, although it was not illustrated, so that was like a little outside of the norm of what story hour feels like now. I think the pictures are important, Um, but it was also, you know, a challenge to get kids to really, like, focus and use their imaginations, Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, pretty much we... You know, it's like a 45-minute hour, I like to say, kind of like a therapist um, appointment. <laughs> and therapy for me, I suppose. And yeah, we read a few books, we sing some songs. When we do them in person, we try to do crafts and things like that. Uh-huh. Sometimes different chapters will do like face painting or, you know, a lip sync or something like that that's friendly for kids too. So oh my yeah, God. precious. This is my jam. I want to do this. <laughs> yes, do it. That sounds so fun. That's amazing. So what, like, how did this book come out of that experience? So the book, I mean, really, I started singing it as a song with the kids. And it's just because I, I mean, I started off just reading and then I was like, we need a little something more, like we need something more interactive and to get them moving. And I, you know, I was trying to think back to songs that I sang as a kid and they were cute, but I was like, Drag is all about working with like materials that are already out in the world and giving them a little bit of a twist. So, I I mean, honestly, I came up with most of the words either in a cab ride or a subway ride to one of my readings (laughs) and, and I refined them over time and I saw what worked and didn't work, but it really was like a momentary, you know, stroke of inspiration and I'm very grateful for it, but um, but yeah, but then eventually, you know, it just seemed like a logical next step. Like here we are reading books to kids and there aren't any books. There weren't any books about drag for kids, mm. which like is, you know, in the grand scheme of things is not like the biggest omission, but for a program that is all about dragging kids, it seemed like it was time. So yeah, it, I pitched it and it happened and here it is. Oh my God. I love that. What an amazing story. So how'd you work with kids before? (laughs) I had a little bit. I worked um, in high school. I was a teacher's aide for Hebrew school. And I also worked a little bit at like summer camps and things. So I did have some experience, but I always say like, I don't really want my own kids or anything, but it's fun. It's fun to like drop in for an hour. Yeah, yeah, for a quick 45-minute therapy hour. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Totally. That's it. That's amazing. And I go home, they go home, the parents can deal with the hard questions. Yeah, what just happened? Right, exactly. (laughs) I don't know. You you tell them. They're going to have to handle that one. I love that. I ask because, like, I have zero experience with kids, so I would just be like, what do we do? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. But, I mean, I think it's like – I always say that kids and drag audiences are not all that different. Like there's a bit of like unruliness and rowdiness, whether it's drunk adults at midnight in a bar or whether it's like, you know, over sugared kids on a Saturday <laughs> morning in a library. Um, and I do, I do truly feel like for me at least like hosting those events is the same. It's like building the energy. It's like, I think about being a camp counselor where you'd be like, oh my God, everybody, it's time to go to dinner. And like, they're all like, yes. And you're like, and you do that like every Every day of the week. You know what I mean? (laughs) And like, but there's something about like, just like you being that enthusiastic presence that gets people going. And it's the same thing with like, welcome to our stage, blah, blah, blah. You know, like it's, it's all just this like hyping. And so it's kind of fun to tap into that. I love that. I also love thinking about a <laughs> trainee shack audience being the same <laughs> as a bunch of kids in a library on like a rainy day. Like that's totally. hilarious. I mean, a few differences, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's some but, small, you know. slight differences, yeah, yeah. <laughs> different substances, but like equal right. probably attention holding. Exactly, exactly. That is so amazing. I love that. That's awesome. Um, okay, so you had the idea for the book. Obviously, you had been. Um, doing this performance in the song um, and you got the deal with book deal, which is amazing. And then I'm so curious to hear how you found your illustrator, Olga de Dios. She sounds amazing. She is amazing. I mean, it's funny because I still have never met her in person or even like we haven't even had like a Skype call or a phone call or anything. It's all been email and, and a lot of it was just through the publisher, but 
Yeah, I I mean, I knew I wanted the illustrations to feel different than many children's books. And <laughs> I, some of the original suggestions, like no shade to my publisher, but they were a little bit like sexy Disney Bratz doll princess or like, mm-hmm. or like really kind of like soft, like colored pencils and pastels. And I was like, drag is all about coloring outside the lines and being bold and over the top and... And I just, yeah, I wanted it to have like a queer feeling and it was hard to articulate what that meant. Um, But so I I did a lot of research and asked for a lot of suggestions, especially from like friends of mine who are parents and someone happened to recommend Olga's work and I hadn't seen it because most of it's in Spanish. Um, Although some of it's been translated, but it just hadn't come across my radar. Um, And yeah, I just, I mean, I loved, I loved her work. A lot of her own work is like monsters, like these like, cute but like quirky monsters and there was just something about that where it's like that to me is where drag comes from like not the kind of like cabbage patch brat stall whatever like it's it's in that those weird not creepy but also not safe monsters you know i I love that yeah Um, yeah and you can see it on like some of the pages here, I'm just going to flip to the, to the jacket. Totally. Like you can see how the drag queens are like, almost like superhero monsters. That's totally, kind of how I felt. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, so I sent her photos of like folks in my drag community, just as references. And no one's commented that they've really seen themselves in it. But I, I there are definitely some that look more, more or less like actual people. Although <laughs> if I will deny it for copyright purposes. I was going to say. Um... Um, they're, they're, any likenesses are simply coincidental. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, I mean, really, I just like I told her I wanted a diversity of characters. I wanted different skin tones and different sizes, but also different styles of drag. And I think that that's where mm. she like really got it. Like there's a couple phenomenal bearded queens. Yes. It's like really glamour, you know, high camp, high femme queens. And then there's like, yeah, those kind of like weird superheroes. Actually, some of them were like a little too much at first. So that we mm. actually need to like dial it back. To you dialed it back? to say, oh my it's, God. Only it's only because we didn't want kids to, to think that drag necessarily meant like alien or, mm. or fantastical. Like it, we, we wanted to make sure there was enough that's smart kind of realistic grounded um, needs to be grounded. a grounded representation exactly. i love that yeah exactly. smart 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 yeah. yeah but there is that one kind of like fairy character that makes it in towards the end the, that starts appearing kind of like on a balcony yeah <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Uh, i love that that's funny because when i was reading it i was like i feel like i know some of these queens yep. <laughs> but then i was like but this illustrator is from madrid so right. <laughs> well you know Digital photography. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. So what was your relationship then working with her? I'm surprised it's all over email. That's amazing. Yeah, I am too. And I mean, honestly, the biggest surprise is that I didn't have more feedback. Like normally I'm a bit of a control queen and mm-hmm. I like, you know, I like my way, but really like she sent character sketches. I gave a little bit of feedback and, um, but yeah, I mean, mostly she just ran with it and one of the ideas that she contributed to, which I hadn't even thought of, is that at, you'll notice that like throughout the book, the town sort of goes from gray and gets more and more colorful, like not just because there's more and more queens, but like just the buildings and everything get more colorful. Mm. And I thought that was a great idea because like I just kept the line of all through the town because I didn't have anything better to say, you know, like that to me wasn't part of the parody. And and I guess I sort of had this idea of like dry queens parading through a town, but I feel like she really brought that to life and really made it like an integral part of the book. That's amazing. And I love the final image of, um, I'm sorry, what, what's your name in the book? Frida, Frida Bay me. Oh, me? Who, what, me? <laughs> sorry, just like a likeness. Just a little likeness, yeah. Could barely point you out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but Frida Bay me is just like walking by herself with her hips swishing and like yep. a rainbow trail dust yes. behind her. <laughs> no, I love that. Oh, and also okay. it was Olga's idea to give all the characters names, which I wasn't, I had oh. a plan on doing since it wasn't in the text, but kids love that. I'm so glad we did it. Cause like, that's one of the things is like, uh, parents tell me that kids want to hear it multiple times. Like you can't just read it once, which I am not mad about. And also that like the kids instantly learn all the names and oh some kids have, have like, or some parents have written me to ask what some of the other characters names are. Cause the only ones that are names are kind of like the stars of each verse or whatever, but 
there's a lot of supporting characters. So. Oh my God. Okay. Well, let's talk about these characters <laughs> then. Um, how did you come up with the names? Because coming up with the drag queen name is such a process. So I'm really curious, what was your process for these characters to be kid-friendly? I mean, that was the thing is I wanted them to be kid-friendly, but I think because it wasn't my drag name, I didn't feel quite that pressure of like, this is going to stick with me forever, you know? So I got to just kind of let it all hang out a little bit. But yeah, I wanted... It's funny because my name as Little Miss Hot Mess, I always say that I earned it in my early <laughs> 20s when I was, a, which you probably can remember in detail. I um, I loved yep. every moment of it. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but like some inappropriate work functions, like, you know, there was a lot, some, a lot of Long Island iced teas back in the day. So fun. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that, but, but I was never interested in having like a punny name or like a name that sounded really feminine or really real or whatever. Um, so yeah, it was fun to kind of get to play with that different convention for this. And I, I just wanted names that hopefully would make kids giggle and, and again, introduce them to that aspect of drag, which is about taking dominant culture and giving it that little twist. And yeah, I mean, there were, there, again, there were some that were maybe edited out because they were deemed a little too risque. Um, (laughs) but I am glad that I got to get like LMNOPP in there because I think kids really like that and Tinkerbell. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. I love Jacqueline Jill. I was like, oh, yes, oh, right. I, like I know she, she feels classy to me. Yeah, right. Very classy, <laughs> and also like ready to flip the script at any moment. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I love that. Let's talk a little bit more. You keep talking about um, twisting dominant culture a little bit more. I'd love to hear what that means for you, especially when you're performing. Yeah, I mean, so drag. I think a lot of people think of it. Well, some people think of it as impersonation. Mm-hmm. Some people think about it as, you know, a man in a dress, which I think is like the most tired definition of drag. Yes. <laughs> but to me, drag is fundamentally about, well, and I would say too, some people think about it as parody. And and I think it, it's partly parody, but it's more than that. Like, it's not just parody for the sake of a laugh. It's it's parody or satire to make a point, right? And, mm-hmm. and historically, that's meant a lot of different things. Like, sometimes it is just about finding a place for queerness in dominant culture and, and, you know, being able to sort of dress up in a feminine high femme kind of look and perform what seems like a heterosexual love song is a way to kind of get that queerness just through your body and and through your presence on stage. Um, And sometimes it's like more overtly political. Like sometimes it's Mm -hmm. using songs to tell a story or to make a point. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's what's really important to me about drag is is finding, it, it, it's it's appropriation, but not in the sort of like cultural appropriation where you're stealing from below, but it's really about like historically subcultures kind of taking from above and reclaiming it or or refashioning it to be about our own lives. God, that was beautifully put. Thank you. Thank wow. You. <laughs> wow. You also just described appropriation in the most perfect way. So thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, okay. Well, anything else about writing this book? Like you're going through the process with Michelle, or sorry, not Michelle, Olga. And mm-hmm. like how many iterations? Was it, was it a crazy like back and forth? I mean, with the illustrations, it was not a crazy back and forth. And, and I guess even writing it like, I don't. I mean, I'm I'm an I'm a control queen, and I'm also an indecisive queen. So I had like perfect you know, combo. I was like, did the hands snap, or, or like did the fingers snap, or is it like the hands? Originally, the hands went jazz, but I felt like that was hard to get into a book, like because I really like the whisper, the kind of like jazz was really important <laughs> to me. And I was like, I think it's easier for folks to get the snap from text and illustration. Although it's also a little hard for kids sometimes to snap. So, you know, trade off. That's true. That is true. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but when I read it, I also like to tell kids to just fake it till you make it. Oh my God. So, I mean, if you can't snap, just, yeah, give a flick of the wrist or, or give a jazz hand or a <gasps> finger or whatever. Key to so life. that's part of it too. That's part of the, yeah, the teaching, teachable moment of it, I suppose. I love that. Yeah. But yeah, and I guess I would say too that like, I didn't think about this necessarily as I was, working on the song or working on the book, but I'm glad that it's not like drag 101, you know, I'm mm. glad that it's not like, this is what a drag queen is, but it, it gets kids moving. It gets them kind of feeling what it's like to do drag or, or even if not to do drag to like do something that just might be out of their comfort zone, you know, like part of why I like the swishing on the hips is that that was something that I was teased for as a kid. And 
you know, made fun of. And, and I think probably still many kids are like accused of being too feminine or too masculine or too whatever. And so it's a way, you know, I, I do like to joke at story hours and have kids say things like when I grow up, I want to be a drag queen or I tell them now you're all drag queens in training. And of course the right wing, you know, eats that up and tries to use it against me. Of course. But like fundamentally, A, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be a drag queen when you grow up, obviously. And not every kid has to be, but like having the experience of swishing your hips for a couple minutes or stomping your feet or snapping your fingers, like everyone has something to learn from that. Everyone can take something away from it, whether they, you know, practice it in their daily lives or just uh-huh. do it for that moment. It's, it's a way of, I've been thinking a lot lately too about how drag is, it's not about walking in someone else's shoes. It's about like finding a pair of shoes that you might not otherwise wear and exploring what it means for yourself to walk in those. So, you know, it's not just, yeah, it's not just like the high heels of whomever. It's, it's really like, do you want the high heels? Do you want the shoes with the wings? Do you want the shoes with, 10 inch platforms. Like, what do you want? And, we got options. And, and we got options. <laughs> and each of those options does something different to you. Right. And it, and it, and it does something different to you as a unique individual versus yeah. your friends. So I love that. And I think it's like helping to accept those different parts of all of us that if, like, we don't have to be in these boxes. We don't have to be just women or men and we don't have to be straight or gay. Like we're all right. of the things combined and this like helps to open their minds to that possibility. Totally. And yeah, and that femininity doesn't look the same from one person to the next, right? Like even, yeah. even in the same clothes or even in the same, you know, race or, or class or sexuality, like it's all, it's always different and it always is about finding your own voice within that. Yes. Oh, I love that. And like certain shoes or whatever will bring out a certain part of you that could empower you when you're not wearing that. So that's... Totally. So cool to watch. <laughs> totally, exactly. I mean, I still, I haven't been to a job interview in a while, but I, I used to always wear heels to job interviews because it, yeah, it makes you feel different, right? It, like, it gives different. you the power. I oh, and love maybe that. for some people it doesn't, but for me. Right, right, right. But for you, it did. <laughs> and that's all that matters. Oh, I love that. I would have given you the job immediately for the record. (laughs) Um, Well, so we've been talking about this a little bit, but what do you think is important for kids to understand about drag culture? Um, I think, so I've been doing a lot of work on this too, and I'm, I'm actually writing, not to brag, but I'm, I'm writing um, an academic article with a friend of mine who's an education scholar, kind of trying to theorize what kids can learn from drag. Um, And so, yeah, we're kind of, I should mention his name, Harper Keenan. He's a, professor at the University of British Columbia. Um, And so, yeah, we're thinking about drag as again, yeah, beyond this kind of like gender 101 or this like very rigid way of teaching about gender and sexuality. And to think about how, like, if you read between the lines, drag is about, it's about coloring outside the lines. It's about standing up to authority. It's about finding ways of relating to each other that aren't about like traditional classroom management of like, I'm the teacher, I talk and the kids all listen. You know, it's about inviting kids to heckle a little bit or to speak up and ask questions. Um, And yeah, and to really kind of use play as a tool to imagine other ways of being, which I, that might be another kind of like overly abstract way of thinking about drag, but, but at the end of the day, drag really is about play. I mean, it's like one of the few forms in which adults do get to do that. And and I think get to do it in a way that's even different from acting or other arts because it it really doesn't, it doesn't follow a script. It doesn't necessarily have like an end goal or I don't want to say it doesn't have a purpose because I think it has lots of purposes, but it's it's not something that you can easily kind of nail down. And and it really often is play for the sake of play and fun and creativity. And yeah, I mean, I, I think more adults need to do that. And I, yes. I think more kids certainly can learn to kind of keep that going from childhood. Yes. Oh, I love the idea of doing an activity where you don't have to be the best. You're not winning. Right? You're just exactly. doing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, um, Taylor Mack, who's like a, a certified MacArthur genius and also a drag Absolutely. artist and, and, <laughs> and uncertified genius as well. I mean, it is totally brilliant says that perfection is for assholes and that's a phrase that I feel like I can't quite use around the children but 
I mean, but, I'm actually, I've been trying to think, I'm like, is jerks, is that like an appropriate word for kids? Like, I don't know what the like, fools, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but it's true. Like, I think that that's a really important thing for kids to learn as well, that like, perfection is not necessarily the goal. Process is the goal. Trying something is the yes. goal. Putting yourself out there is the goal. Oh, 100%. God, I wish I heard that 30 years ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, like, I say this, and I'm also like a huge perfectionist in Capricorn <laughs> and, and whatever, but... But you're honoring it. You're, but I'm you're honoring saying it, it aloud. Right, right, right. <laughs> and usually, by, usually I, I work towards perfection, and yeah, by the end, I let things go, and that's part of my process as well. Oh, that's all we can do, right? Right. Yeah, I love that. That's amazing. Um, well, I'm so excited for that academic paper, and I would love to link whatever we can to whatever might be happening with that. Yes. Awesome. It, I mean, it's an academic paper, so it won't be published for for a while, for years. years, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool to me that like it's an academic topic because there's so much to learn from it. Is it for gender studies? It's for educational studies. So, I mean, our hope is wow. that teachers will read it and then want to incorporate Dry Queen Story Hour into their classroom. So it's a, it's a little bit nice. of a marketing tool, but nice. it's all, yeah, it's a way for teachers to think, because I, I think a lot of teachers do want to incorporate queer content into their classrooms and they don't know how to do it. Yeah. And I think, I think especially, well, probably depends. I think for non-queer teachers, it's probably like a thing where there's anxiety around teaching about another culture and getting it right and all that kind of stuff. But, and, you know, for queer teachers, it's like, how much do I share? How personal can I make this? Where are the lines? So, yeah, I think, I think drag is a helpful way because it, it kind of, not that it ignores those questions, but it, it defangs them a little bit. Like Mm. those, those, it kind of says like, that's actually not the goalpost. The goalpost is about, yeah, these kind of more intangible experiences of queerness um, that that aren't about sexuality or gender. Right. (laughs) that's beautifully put i've never thought about how if you are or if you aren't it's still difficult (laughs) which leads to paralysis right so then especially if you're striving for perfection then you're never going to get anywhere with that right right yeah that's amazing i love that i'm just imagining like sex education and then some drag queen story hour next to it. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. Imagine if there was drag week in school or whatever. I don't know. Oh, it would yeah. be so fun. It yeah. would be so fun. I would love yeah, that. Would well, too. I'm all, I mean, I am just all about just being out there, being bright. I'm particular to shiny sparkle sequins. Yes, all you are. All those things. <laughs> so I would have just died if I was in school and that was happening. And everyone totally. was participating, not just women. That would have been really right. Cool. Right. Exactly. Game changer. Yeah. Which is why I've gotten into festival culture, which is a whole other topic. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. Um, so you've mentioned a little bit about the beginnings of Little Miss Hot Mess. Um, but I'd love to learn more about how she came into the world and how she's evolved. Yes. I mean, I've always been Little Miss Hot Mess in many literally. ways, right? I mean, literally, I some people, I think, think of, of drag as a character. And I've always just thought of drag as a different part of it myself. And, mm. and yeah, I mean, I was that gender fluid kid. I was that kid who my best friend was a girl. We played with My Little Ponies and dressed up in her tutus and... You know, I did figure skating and yeah, I, I, I was the queerest child, even though it took me a long time to come out. I feel like I'm of that, I feel like I'm on that cusp generation where it's like, I could have come out at 14 or I could have come out at 19, which is what I did. Mm. But, um, but yeah, so, I mean, I, but I think as, I mean, I remember in college when I came out, I became fascinated with drag. And I wanted to do it, but I didn't know where, and I didn't know how, and I didn't have any mentors. And so I just watched movies like Too Wong Fu and Priscilla and things like that and loved them. Um, <laughs> and then when I moved to San Francisco, I I just started dabbling and I started going to um, T-Shack and some other things. And um, really, I just, I at some point, I guess I had, I dabbled a little bit and I went to an event at Counterpulse and I met Phonique, who is a phenomenal um, drag queen in San Francisco. And I was wearing, you know, kind of bad baby Walgreens drag. And um, and was she complimented me, which I'm sure was, you know, a, a polite gesture on her part. And I said, you know, like, I'd love to do it, but I don't know where. And she was like, just ask. Like, just ask one of the queens who hosts the show and they'll put you on. Ah. 
And I was oh my like, God. oh, I didn't know it was that easy. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I talked to Heklina and I, I did Star Search. And um, so, yeah, that was when Little Miss Hot Mess, I guess, was officially born as a performer. But as I said before, I inherited the name uh, <laughs> from some friends after, <laughs> after a particularly, um, I don't know, raunchy or... Um, unrespectable pride situation. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Again. Yes, yes, yes. And I remember it was one of those things where like everyone, everyone was sort of like Little Miss something. Like there was a Little Miss Applebottom, I remember. I don't oh. know the others, but and then I became Little Miss Hot Miss. Oh, I love and that. So, and yeah, and I oh, truly, like, it was one of those things too where I hadn't thought about what my name would be. And so when Heklina was like, what's your name? I was like, uh, Little Miss Hot Miss. And <laughs> And a queen was born. And a queen was born. Um, But yeah, and I mean, I, it's hard to think about how I've evolved because I've been doing it for 12 freaking years, which who would have thought, like, what else have I done for 12 years? I don't know. Um, But that's actually pretty amazing to think about. Right. I mean, I guess I've been a student for most of my life, but like, I've never had a job for 12 years. I've never lived in a place for 12 years. Like, it's crazy. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think I've evolved. I've, I've grown in many ways with the craft. I can finally mostly cover my eyebrows now, but that took <laughs> years and years and years after many years of like not even realizing I should have been doing that. Quote unquote. Um, and yeah, I, so I think, I think there's like that level up and I guess when I first started doing drag too, I did, I mean, I threw my bat mitzvah a couple, like two or three years into it. And I did a lot of, yeah, kind of like, um, teen, awkward teenage girl at the talent show kind of thing, which is definitely still within me. But I also, I do think as I've aged, hot mess has also aged a little mm-hmm, bit. Mm-hmm. There's, there's that as well. I can totally see that. Who are her, who's, who's her like inspirations or like her role models? I mean, it's a lot of the Jewess comedians, I would mm. say. I mean, it's oh. like the Bette Midler, of course, Fran Drescher, Sandra Bernhardt. A little bit of Barbara. I mean, and then I, I guess too, one of the things that has somewhat set me apart is that I do like to do political stuff. So like, which also comes from some of those icons, but yeah, I mean, I also think about drag icons like Divine and Vaginal Davis. Um, I feel like those are probably two of my biggest influences. I mean, also, but also like the Coquettes and also I'm not a sister, but I, I mean, I really appreciate what they do in terms of like being involved in the community. So there's so many models within the drag community as well. Mm, I love that. And by sister, you mean sisters of perpetual indulgence? Yes. Yes. yes the I love drag that. None order. I love that. I'm just saying that for people that might not be yeah. Yeah, <laughs> as deep Google. in drag culture. Do a Google on the sisters because they they're incredible. They're amazing. I'm actually curious. So I know um, I volunteered with them, or I've seen them volunteering a lot. What is mm-hmm. their deal? They were founded in the 70s, and I, I don't remember the exact, like, if there was a real specific spark that kind of, like, sparked the sister iconography, but, I mean, I think that they they do genuinely see themselves as an order of kind of do-gooding drag queens. I mean, in, I don't know the full process, but I know that there is, like, a set process by which someone kind of climbs the ranks, mm-hmm. not in terms of, like, real hierarchy, but in terms of, like, you know, you, you're different sort of levels of wow or whatever. And, and in order to do that, you need to do a certain number of like community service projects. And I think it culminates in you kind of organizing your own like fundraiser or event or something like that. Um, so yeah. And I think they also do a great job of like providing community safety, like at yes. things like Folsom or other street fairs. Like, I don't know, especially, it feels funny to say this in this moment right now, but I've often really thought about them as an alternative to policing, especially <laughs> at public events, yeah. because they are, they're, they're like a community, they're not a community patrol and like, in terms of like a neighborhood patrol kind of thing, but, but at these events where they work the gates, like they're the first people that you see. I do think that they're there to partly like screen out anyone who might be there to cause harm mm. or trouble, but they're not cops. Like they're, they're not right. carrying weapons. They're like wearing, you know, drag makeup and nuns habits and feather boas and everything. And, so they're both welcoming, but also a presence that I think makes people feel safe. Oh, so safe. That's interesting. I, n- I never realized that, but as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh yeah, I can totally see that. Totally. And at Burning Man, 
um, we have rangers or they have rangers <laughs> that keep the civil peace without having to have cops. So it's so interesting to hear that within communities, there's a way to keep the peace that is not <laughs> so violent or aggressive. And totally. I think that can be such a wonderful example for the world as we're moving forward with what our new reality needs to be. Totally. Mm. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm, replace guns with feathers and glitter. Oh, yes. I mean, <laughs> uh, some other steps probably need to happen as well. But, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but as a guiding principle, it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me. I'm down. Yep. I'll be yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, Well, I will say that drag culture has really come into mainstream. Um, especially with RuPaul's Drag Race. And I'm so curious from your experience, from the birth of Little Miss Hot Mess and also from like just being in college, you mentioned and um, Mm -hmm. learning more about it. How has it changed and where do you think it's going? (sighs) This is like the biggest can of worms ever. Um, And I try not to speak ill of that television program in public, but, um, and and I do, I mean, I do like the show. I do watch the show, but I I think it's a double-edged sword. I mean, I think anytime something goes from being underground to going mainstream, there's pros and cons, right? I mean, like in many ways, it makes things more accessible and it makes it, yeah, more available to diverse communities and and especially to, to folks like kids and teenagers who, you know, can't get into gay bars and things like that. Um, and on the other hand, I, I do think that there's something problematic and a little troubling about the way that drag celebrity has taken off. I mean, mm-hmm. I, from some of the drag race queens that I follow, like, you know, a lot of them talk about the fans and and the toxicity of fan culture and, and people attacking each other and the racism within the fan communities and things like that. Oh so, I mean, I think those are problematic. And, and But even on a sort of more basic level, like I do think part of what has made drag so unique and powerful over decades and centuries is that like drag queens we're we're celebrities but we aren't right like we're it's always kind of on a local level and there's there is always an accessibility to that local community like sure you might get up on stage you might you know people might shower you in tips and applause and whatever but also at the end of the day like you're still going to have a drink and have a laugh with people or have a cigarette outside the bar and you know, that kind of hierarchy is pretty quickly dissolved. And so I think that that's something that feels a little odd. Like, I'm glad that queens are getting their respect and getting their coin and and getting all these opportunities. But I don't know. It's, I think for me, that's a reason why I'm not interested in, in mm-hmm. going on a program like that is like, to me, it is about building those connections and having that local community. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Little Miss Thomas is just a political activist ready to make change. <laughs> I, I am. I am. But I, and I would also say too, I mean, I think it's something that I do struggle with, with drag queen story hour as well. Like I think sometimes people read that as very assimilation oriented and about kind of watering down drag for kids. And, and I'm sure, you know, I think that that probably happens and I don't want to sort of like oversell the program or oversell what mm. drag can be, but But I also think if done right, like, again, it is a way of kind of bringing queerness into childhood rather than sanitizing it and and of finding those things that might be really subtle and might not be super overt, but which can be really powerful just in terms of, yeah, again, like encouraging kids to think outside of the box and uh, even though I hate that phrase, but, you know, to to really think about, to think about how things could be different and, and how they can find their voice and make change and Again, it all it all sounds so cheesy, but it's like <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but that's also it's not, and that's what that's what drag is. Like, drag is all about like you become a queen simply by dressing up and performing and saying that you are right. And I think if we do abstract that to so many other aspects of the world, like it's true. Like, you need the idea, you need the vision, and you need to make it happen, and and that's mm. how social and political change happens as well. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. I love it. And I love thinking about kind of celebrity culture and how unhealthy and toxic it is and Mm -hmm. how unfortunately it is seeping into drag culture, which used to be just so underground and behind closed doors. Right. So it's interesting. I mean, it's cool that it's happening because it means that it's becoming mainstream, right? But then the flip side of that is that the reality sets in, which is 
unfortunate. Right. Um, Although I also think too that like it's also pushing drag to do new things. Yeah. Well, right. Like like the underground has to become even more underground, right? Or yeah. it has to become even more weird and artsy and out of this world to make it stand apart from like this kind of mainstream thing. Right. And yeah. So that's exciting too. And and that's a thing too, like in in my other academic work, like I'm trying to think about what drag can do, especially in relationship to like digital culture. And um, so I, I've been writing and working on a dissertation about um, partly about drag and, and thinking about things like drag and how it confuses facial recognition. And, and can we use some of the techniques of drag makeup proactively as a way of resisting facial recognition? Or could we think about, you know, like the way that drag queens modulate their voices or modulate their walks as other ways of kind of resisting biometric surveillance. So I think that, yeah, I, th- I think that drag is, is certainly not dead or, or drag is dead long of drag, as some people say. <laughs> um, and, and there's a lot of things that it can do in the 21st century. Oh, I love that. That's interesting because I know Trainee Shack no longer exists. Is that correct? That is correct. And the stud just closed. I know I'm talking about San Francisco yeah. and you don't live here anymore, but I no, am curious. I, mean, I, I in my heart, I do. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah I you're stay here. In touch, yeah. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the stud closing feels like a a major mm. moment, and I mean, hopefully, it will reopen. You know, it's the physical space, which I do think that there is something sacred about that physical space, and I also think it, it will be possible to take that same group of people and rebuild it somewhere else. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's true too. Like, it's not just drag culture that's changing; it's queer culture as overall i mean queer neighborhoods are changing queer bars are closing and part of that is because of you know more queer media and more friendly national politics and things like that um and some of its digital media and everyone being on the apps and all that kind of stuff but i don't know but again i mean i do yeah i do think that part of the reaction to that is shit's getting weirder that's just getting weirder yeah. That's interesting. I wonder what will be kind of the next hotspot or because live performance, we're all, we're all on lockdown right now. I get it. Right, but like right. live performance is not going away. <laughs> right. And yeah. And when we're able to gather again, it's going to be back with a vengeance, I think. Yeah. Although I'll also say like, like the digital drag performances, that's another way in which mm. I never anticipated the form evolving or evolving that quickly, but it's really fascinating. I mean, people... Really? people pull out some amazing stuff and, and it like, it's one of those things where like the constraints really do kind of spawn creativity, right? Like Mm. people being forced to do numbers in their bedrooms or going outside or like, there's a whole genre now of like drag on the roof, basically, you know, like, I love that. That's one of the space people have. And then all the editing and all the effects that people do, like, it's really beautiful to see people do doing both both doing things that they can do on stage and translating that, but then also doing things that really extend use digital media beyond what you could ever do in person. I love that. And I'm curious too, like having an audience and not having an audience brings such, like for me as an artist, it brings out totally different things of me. Totally. And I mean, it's, yeah, it's totally weird. Like, I mean, I've literally been doing numbers like in my closet and like in, you know, with a green screen and I did one in the alleyway behind my house and <laughs> I don't know. And, it, and it's weird when there's no one there and there's no one to applaud to. And, and I hosted, oh my God, I hosted um, the LA LGBT Center's Senior <gasps> Prom, which oh I God. fully did not realize until about halfway into the planning process that it was like seniors as in elders, not seniors as in oh students, which was even <laughs> better for me. Um, I love yeah, that. Yeah, like I was like sitting in a room and singing to a computer <laughs> and it was so weird, but also I got to see all these elders like dancing on Zoom and oh, I don't know. I mean, it, yeah, I desperately, I desperately want to be in touch with people again and I don't know, there's something sweet about these connections as well. Wow. I love that. I'm sure they loved you. So they made, you made their I mean, day. I'm hopefully. sure. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, Jen. Well, yeah, apparently Jen. one chatted, she does not look like a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Were you like, little miss is growing up. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did a number the other day. I think, well, you posted on Instagram, but it was, I think it was Dancing Queen and it was just you dancing in your living room. Oh yeah. Was it Dancing Queen? That was, yeah, that wasn't even a number. That was just a... 
I died. Humble moment. <laughs> I watched. I watched the whole thing. Oh my god! And, which is the great, best thing about social media, right? You're like, yeah. I would never really hang on to this, but I'm, I'm just watching this, and I totally. loved. I loved it. Like, oh, thank you. Of it. it was so fun, <laughs> and it's like it almost changes for you to have the inspiration and enthusiasm within yourself right. versus having an audience feed that for you. Totally. And I could totally. see it. I could see it in you. You were like, I'm totally. doing this and it's going to be fun. Except the funny thing is that that, that was from like over a year ago. Like that was no totally way. pre-pandemic. No it way. Was, yeah. So, I mean, but you're right. It was the same thing. Like I had just come home from something and I was like, I want to play around for a minute and it, Fine. yeah, it was kind of just for me, but then I was like, I love this. So. It was so good. I, uh, yes. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well this, um, okay. So I can't let you go without talking about SNL. So you're oh, an right. accomplished writer. You've written a book. You've done so many things. Oh. And on top of that, you've been a backup dancer for Katy Perry on SNL. So tell us about it. <laughs> I mean, that was, it it truly was an experience of a lifetime. It was super fun. It was, I mean, it was a couple of years ago now, three years ago now. I don't remember. Wow. Um, but I, yeah, I was, I mean, yeah. So I'm a PhD student by day and I was like literally writing my final paper of the semester. Oh like, and I got a Facebook message from this person who I knew very, va- like very tenuously through the drag community, who's a dancer in New York. And he was like, my agent is looking for drag performers for, I forget if he even said it was for SNL or for TV, something like that. And I was like, oh sure. Like send me the info. And I like literally finished the paper, ran home, threw on like really bad quick drag, like didn't shave, just like put on a wig and a little bit of makeup and then went to audition. And it was like, you had to like walk the runway. And I was like, I don't really, that's like not, you know, I like, (laughs) Prance the runway, you know, like it's just, it's, yeah, I have a slightly different style. And you had to like do a little dance, and I just felt like this, like, mom at about mitzvah, like dancing. Yes. But I think they liked it because I think a lot of the other queens like come from a little bit more of like a fierce fashion, and like a lot of them came from ballroom. And so, I, yeah, I think I was serving something different. And, <laughs> and it was crazy. I mean, it was that was Tuesday, and then we rehearsed all week, and then it was Saturday, and we did the show. And wow. It was so cool to be on that set and yeah, I don't know. It was oh and, and to go to the after party and I don't know. It was, it was just, you oh. know, that little touch of glamour that, that was fun. And, um, so not, not to name drop, but I did um, chat with ScarJo. And, <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> and she was, I don't know, like I just, what I appreciate, I mean, people have critiques about some of the work that she's done, which I also share, but but one of the things that I appreciated was that, um, and I think I've talked about this before, so I, I think it's okay, but, um, but they, <laughs> the, the drag performers were not invited to the after party officially, but oh, I was no. like, there's an after party and we're drag queens, like we're going to get in. And so all these yeah. queens left and then me and a couple of them stayed around and literally we saw ScarJo walking down the hallway and we're like, hey girl. And she was like, are you coming to the party? And we were like, oh, well, we're not on the list. And she was just like, that's absurd. Everyone knows that drag queens are always on the list. Oh and so God. she was like, come with me, you know? And I'm like, like, she got it. You know what I mean? Oh. Like that, like, and, and I think, you know, all the like highfalutin ideas and all the jokes aside, like that is the spirit of drag. It's like, there's a party oh and a drag queen is welcome and she's going to have a good time and to make sure everyone else has a good time, whether she's working or not. And like, so yeah, that, that was a very special oh, moment and evening. I love that. That's amazing. Little Miss Hot Mess, of course, got into the after party. Of course. <laughs> tenacity. All you need is a little tenacity Just and LOL. audacity. Yeah, there we go. Together. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I also love that you stuck to your guns on the audition and not just like roll right into like a, you know, a sachet or whatever down the catwalk. I love that. I mean, I think it's partly because I truly just don't know how, you know, like I, nice. I don't think yes. I could. And But yeah, it's like, I mean, that's another thing that I often say to kids or parents when they ask about drag. It's like, it is about being yourself and it's, mm. it's about often about being a different part of yourself or, or exaggerating or amplifying a different part of yourself but yeah it's not about being something you're not it's about yeah I mean like would I prance down the street every day no but if given a runway that that is my preferred 
mode of choice. Oh, love that. I love that. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> uh, well, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? This has been amazing. I don't think so. I mean, this has been so fun for me and you've asked such good questions. Oh, so. good. I'm so glad. <laughs> Well, tell us, um, for anyone who wants to buy the book, and I highly recommend, even if you're an adult, because it's just so fun, and it's based in San Francisco, so there's like all kinds of cool San Francisco things in it, (laughs) where can they find it, and how can we follow you on social media? So you can follow me at Lil Miss Hot Mess, which is L-I-L Miss Hot Mess on all of the social medias, and the book should be available anywhere books are sold. Um, so I, of course, you know, suggest supporting independent bookstores. Although I was recently told by my publisher that it wouldn't be terrible if Amazon sales went up a little bit. So <laughs> if that's your preferred option, I'll look the other way. Excellent. Um, Excellent. We're here to help uh, you. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, and I, I think it's a great book for um, to give as gifts to kids. I also like to say that now is not the time to teach kids about sharing. So I encourage a copy for every kid in your life. Siblings deserve their own copies. Yes. Um, and I'm more than happy. I, I'm bummed that I can't really do the, you know, uh, epic book tour that I had planned in my mind, but I am doing virtual events. So if you follow me on social media, you know, oftentimes I'll pop up with different events at bookstores around the country on their social media. And I'm also signing books remotely by sending stickers. So if you go to my website, there's a way that you can think it's on my website. If not, I will add it to my website very soon. Um, You can, I just ask that you make a donation of any amount to drag queen story hour and then I'll send Um, a little personalized book sticker. Oh, I love that. We'll link that below too. Oh, thank you. Little Miss Hamas. Thank you so much. This has just been a treat. Thank you. It's been so good to see you and talk to you. You too. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. I know I did. I can't tell you how many times I snapped my fingers during this interview. (laughs) If you want to watch it, it's on YouTube. You can rewatch the whole thing. (laughs) And I highly recommend getting a copy of Little Miss Hot Mess's book, The Hips on the Drag Queen Go Swish, Swish, Swish. So I've got all the links in the show notes, and I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you did, please do me a favor and leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Um, And all you got to do is hit star rating and then maybe just write a sentence or two about um, how much you liked the show. I would very much appreciate it. All right. I hope you have a wonderful week. I'll see you back here next time.